Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Macy. And on the show, as you know, we regularly talk about developing a winning mindset, improving our mental fortitude, but we've never really touched on mental health until today. I'm joined by talented guest, Candace Dyer, who is based out of Seattle. She has some incredible images, and we get a little bit into... Um, photography and the relationship that has positively with anxiety and depression among other things so hope you like this one everyone i'm i'm gonna have a voiceover prompt that comes how that speaks over whenever i have one of you americans on the show that translates everything to celsius you know for the rest of the world but that is hot well the conversion for yeah the conversion for celsius is what 46 or 47 yeah, degrees something like was, that it was um, like 47 in Kamloops and it's you know what it's yeah. just what really bothers me is that the phrase do you believe in climate change is even a thing you know like it's some sort of thing that you can or can't believe in when it's clearly evident the thing is it doesn't matter if you believe in it or not it's it's happening so whether or not you believe in it doesn't freaking matter it's happening so that's right. just <laughs> and I, I, it makes me so mad yeah. it makes me want to fall out of my chair when when people say this phrase as if the climate crisis is equal to believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. It's just straight up ridiculous. Well, I've noticed, um, and I, I shouldn't be looking on, uh, I got, I went over to the, what I call the cesspool that is Twitter recently, and I don't really do much on there except for share conservation, stuff about conservation on there. Um, but I just happened to notice some conversations where people in other states here like in, in texas and elsewhere they're just like it's called summer you know it's it's it, you just get used to it or get an air conditioner and i think people who are very removed from what's going on here you know not only do they not live here so they don't know how the summers normally are here and the fact that people most people don't have air conditioning because we're normally 40 to 50 degrees cooler fahrenheit again um but it's it's insane to think that this is normal um and, and in certain areas like Texas, I don't know why they would say that because they just had crazy ice storms not too long ago that are definitely not normal and that they were ruining their infrastructure. So, um, but people are, who are removed from everything are quick to judge um, and quick to kind of lash out because that would challenge their whole way of thinking and what, you know, they, they've been believing this whole time, right? Like the, it's just it's an agenda by the scientists or a, a hoax, right? So Because that's so much easier than having your whole identity challenged or I guess criticized in a way. It's so much simpler to just say, oh, it's summer, that's hot. It takes less effort rather than accepting the right. fact that, hey, maybe we have a major crisis on our hands that, that we need to deal with. Um, People will go to extremely great lengths to avoid facing any kind of painful or uncomfortable situation. Uncomfortable situations are, are the bane of most people's existence, but they need to be dealt with. You know what I mean? And I think to get people to really care, this is the problem, to get people to really care about something, it needs to affect them firsthand. It needs to affect their lives somehow. And I think as photographers, we have the ability to get close to having that positive effect where people can see visually the effects that we're having on wildlife or the environment, you know? 
Yeah, I think what we're going to start, what we're going to start noticing too, I think, um, and this is crazy to me to even think about, but I think we're, what we're going to start noticing over the next couple of decades is people documenting exactly how this is affecting the land here. I mean, with the climate changing, we're going to see what it does to the landscape. Um, and here, I mean, if what you're seeing is that it's, um, we're having more extended droughts and it's getting warmer Then obviously what we're used to with this lush sort of atmosphere and forest, you know, what we're, what we know here, that's going to, you know, I would think with the change that we're experiencing, that's going to start diminishing to a certain degree. And, you know, obviously the wildfires are increasing as well. We're already experiencing that. So it's, yeah, I, I think that the documenting part as photographers is really going to come into play, whether or not we even intend on it, you know, it's, we'll notice the places that we have been visiting for years are changing. It makes me wonder what it's really going to take to get us to step on the gas. I mean, with these crazy wildfires, massive heat waves, flooding, what's it really, really going to take? And I mean, this could take up an entire episode on its own. So I need to stop myself before I turn into a runaway train. I do want to hear more about your efforts um, to with, with conservation and photography and some of your partnerships you mentioned before we started recording about your recent one with Sierra Club, Wildlife Defenders. Let us know a little bit about uh, that. Uh, I, I was, I was approached, uh, this was earlier this year at the start of this year to be a partner with them just to, uh, work on some different projects that would involve me spreading. It's more of a social advocacy via, uh, Instagram and Facebook to spread awareness about various projects and issues that they work on. And for people who don't, who aren't familiar uh, Sierra Club is the largest, most enduring and influential grassroots environmental organization in the U.S. Um, they've been around since eight, 1892, um, and they work to protect communities, wild places, the planet. Um, they do a lot of social advocacy along with environmental advocacy. They're very involved with that. So um, they champions they champion solutions to the climate crisis, um, but they also fight for social justice. And um, it's just me working on projects with them and trying to get people involved. Everything from signing petitions to contacting your senators to let them know, hey, I'm concerned about maybe relisting wolves on the endangered species list, that type of thing. Or hey, I think that um, it's important that we don't discriminate against, um, you know, people in the LBGTQ community, that sort of thing. So hopefully that makes sense. But it's something that I, I mean, I've been influenced by them since I was a kid. So when they approached me, I was I jumped at the opportunity. And, um, and yeah, it's just me in my spare time speaking out and uh, trying to get people involved in their issues that they work on. That is so awesome. We need more people like you doing that. So, um, what are some ways that anyone, regardless of follower count or what have you, can can do their part or get involved? Oh, there's so many ways. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, yeah. So, I mean, what avenue would you would you recommend? So, I mean, one of the most influential things that you can do is, uh, and people kind of you know might laugh at this, but you can just go- do a Google search in your general community. If you Google search Seattle and environmental organizations or volunteer work, volunteering is huge. 
and they're always you know, earth core is one uh that's one group that I partner with and volunteer with. And I've done everything from remove invasive species from local parks to planting trees. Um, my, my daughter, I have a teenage daughter and she's involved with it and it, it looks great on transcripts as well to put that extra stuff on there. If you have any kids who might want to get involved, um, you know, seeing that they're doing that in their spare time, that's huge. If they're, you know, when they're eventually going to go off to college, they look at that as well. Um, but you can, you can find all kinds of environmental organizations just in your local area. And here, the Nature Conservancy is also a huge one. Um, there's different ones for cleaning up beaches uh, in the area, too. There's um, trying to think there's, there's Puget Sound rescuers. I'm trying to think of all the different groups that you can look at. I'm sure I could list it out for you. But um, <laughs> it depends on where you live. Get involved locally right there. Um, you know, it's, that's a good way to start is just by volunteering. And they're always looking for volunteers. If you're looking to actually work, you know, get employment at one, they also are hiring all the time. I think Defenders of Wildlife just, uh, they linked something on, I think it was Twitter, where they were saying, hey, if you want to work for us, here, look at, look at this. And they have it like all these job listings on their website. Um, but typically if you're looking to, uh, go into that type of work, it is a good idea to, I don't know how involved you want me to, to get in this, but, um, <laughs> environmental science. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking at a degree in more of environmental science, uh, and, and that type of field. So, um, a friend of mine actually, who was a park ranger at Mount Rainier for years and, uh, she worked as a volunteer coordinator for the Nature Conservancy in Seattle. Uh, now she works at the Houston Audubon. She uh, had uh, she has a degree in environmental studies, environmental science. So um, that is definitely helpful. And having a lot of volunteer work under your belt um, as well. That's the kind of record that you would want when you when you're trying to pursue that kind of thing. And of, and of course, connections helps as well, which kind of goes hand in hand with your advocacy. I feel like I'm rambling on here. No, no. We ramble <laughs> on the show all the time. That's the framework of this podcast. But there is so many ways to vouch or do your part conservation-wise in photography, um, just even as like a no-name, as just as someone who's starting out. I mean, I, I just had a neighbor come by who knows that I take photos and he would ask, he asked me if I would auction off a print of mine from the local area in a, in a auction that's going on right now to help restock the lakes around here with native, uh, native species. Cause we have a problem here with, uh, invasive species eating the, the fish fry early on. Um, so this, this volunteer organization goes around and yeah. they restock the lakes and they're having an auction right now to try and raise money for that. Um, and so I did. And, he was so grateful that a week or two later he came by and here he went on my store and he, he bought a print and it just goes to show that the connections you make, I mean, I would have donated either way, but when you put good karma into the world and when you, you do good things without expecting anything in return, I think that's the key, not doing things with the expectation that, someone's going to do something good for you back. I think that's when good things do happen to you. But just the fact you ended up buying a print was, was so awesome. And it all started from me wanting to help any way I could with my skill set. 
Um, you know, if my skill set can help the the lake levels get back to how they're supposed to be, great. And if I sell a print as a bonus, if I get a tax receipt, whatever, I don't really care. It's just a byproduct of doing something nice. So I think that there's so many ways that you can get involved in conservation as a photographer at any skill level or at any caliber. Yeah, Yeah, Um, for sure. But I do want to move on to another topic. This is maybe a subjective uh, discussion point where you can have a, a certain opinion, but... As photographers, I'm sure everyone listening knows we've all been told at some point that we have an eye for capturing image, even if it was by your mom. Um, What does that mean? What components make up a good eye to you as a photographer and how can we really work that muscle out? It's interesting because I think it can mean a variety of things, Um, but ultimately, Composition is a big part of of having an attractive photo. I, I tend to be a rule breaker when it comes to to oh, you know rules what people are think the broken. rules are with What's, composition. Uh, what kind of rules are uh, you? Like, what rules are you breaking? Uh, like the rule of, uh, yeah, they say like the rule of thirds is a big one, um, and I don't I don't really go by that. Uh, the biggest thing for me is I like to simplify, and uh, by that I mean like I like to um, so I don't like to manipulate. Uh, photos very much to the point where it was it didn't look at all like when you were there Um, I think it's important to have it be natural in terms of you know reflecting the environment you were in but if things are distracting I I think it's a good idea to to make sure that your eyes are honing in on something immediately Um, and making that connection that sort of connection where if it's if it's wildlife I think it's important to translate an emotional connection and so I've been told that I have an eye, uh, me specifically, I've been told that I have an eye when it comes to conveying an emotional connection to wildlife. Uh, I have been told that. I don't know how accurate that is. But um, to me, that's important because uh, I think that it, what I'm trying to do is if, if there's any way that the viewer can sort of feel or make some kind of connection with the subject, that's important. Um, to me at least in order to, to try to get on their level and understand that we're not, you know, it's not just humans on the planet. There's other creatures here too that are important. And if you can kind of feel like that emotional connection with them, that's huge. Um, but it can also mean when someone says you have an eye that, Oh, you have an eye for making just like you, you know how to compose things really well. Um, like in this landscape, you, how do you do that with the flowers like that, where, you know, you have that depth flowing back and you just leads your eye right back to where you want to lead your eye and things just aren't cluttered and all over the place. Um, so when someone says you have an eye, maybe you have kind of a knack for that kind of thing. But I also think that you kind of learn over time as well. Um, whether that's taking workshops or just, you know, you learn as you go. Uh, it's not nobody when you first pick up a camera you don't know everything there is to know (laughs) about photography obviously i I still don't know (laughs) yeah i mean so usually what do you do you um you know you look to others for inspiration uh and just straight up guidance or just straight up guidance and advice i mean i can't tell you how many photographers who i've just straight up reached out to who are now even friends asking for advice and I thought they're unapproachable because right. they were so big time, but yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, you don't know unless you try. Um, I remember I first, when I first got into photography, uh, 
one of the photographers that I looked up to the most was Art Wolf. And then I met him and I realized, oh, this guy's like really down to earth and like, you know, relatable is a key. Yeah. He, he, you know, I, I think for, I had this workshop of his years ago where you actually go to his house and you like, you sit there and have dinner with him and everything to start out. And he's just, you know, he's a very, uh, he, he makes it, he makes you feel like you're a friend. Um, and that's important. I think, I think there's a lot of ego in this industry, um, too much (laughs) and uh, to know that somebody is relatable and, uh, real, genuine, uh, authentic. I think that's so important. Um, I don't know why I'm getting off topic of what you asked me. No, no, you're the the entire show is built on getting off topic. Um, so how can people be relatable through just posting their images alone, right? Because there's only so much means of communication. You get to post, you get to comment, you get to reply to people. How can people be relatable in that sense or be like an actual person? How do you, how do you do it? I mean, so many photographers will post a photo and just caption the Latin name of the animal. And I go, my God, I want to know more about you. Let me know more about your personality, (laughs) right? Like, so how do you approach it? Yeah. Um, and I have, I probably should do it more to be honest, but I have, uh, I've spoken out about mental health before, uh, several times and just like, Hey, you know what? I haven't been on here in a couple of weeks because I'm going through a rough time or, you know, I don't get into it too much, but every once in a while I take social media breaks and it's because I think it's important. And for many reasons for me, I mean, not everybody's not everybody's like that. I, you know, there's people who can just post every day and, you know, whether it's for your, if it's your full-time profession, you know, maybe you feel pressured to do that, to be consistent. Um, but I feel like there's kind of this trap that you can fall in where you're comparing yourself to others a lot. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and to the point where you start, yeah, to the point where maybe you start modifying what you're doing because you feel like you're not doing something that other people will like. And then you fall into this trap of, am I doing what other people like? Which it should not be about that, right? Um, it should be about what you want for yourself and how to better yourself, at least in my opinion. Um, so when you start to fall into that trap, it can, it can you know, bring you down. You can start feeling anxiety and it can start getting bad. And I think it's easy to fall into that trap in the social media world. So every once in a while, I'll take breaks and I'll just, you know, I'll come back and be like, Hey guys, what's going on? And, and, you know, I might mention that sort of thing, just like, Hey, you know, I haven't been on here in a while just because it's, I think it's good to break free every now and then. And you'd be amazed how many people agree with that. You know, how many people are just like, yeah, you know what? I I needed to disconnect and just get off the grid for a few weeks. And, uh, you know, whether it's in the mountains or wherever, because there's just, I just can't take it all, right? Like it's too mm-hmm. much pressure. Mm-hmm. So. It's funny you say this too, because if you go back a few episodes, I'm not sure how many, on uh, some of the episodes I've done with my my co-host who comes on every once in a while, Mantis underscore photography, we talk about deleting Instagram from your phone and documenting your experience through from day one to day seven. And you have a totally different relationship when you come back on social social media. You realize how much you've been missing out on and how much life there is to live. I mean, I even have on my bio, it says, I delete Instagram every weekend. Ask me why. Right. I saw that. Yeah. And people <laughs> yeah, will ask me great. why. And I love telling them why. I mean, I haven't posted to Instagram in two weeks and I have loved it. I've had so much free time to do other things. I've still been shooting. Um, I'm not sure why not posting gives people stress. It's just an app. It's just a phone. 
at the end of the day, you still have people who love you. You still have, you know, friends and family. There's, there's, there's so many other things. I think we're just way too attached to an online persona. We're always online. It's so hard to get away from. And I feel like people who say, oh, I need to be on my phone. It's my full-time thing. That's a wicked rationalization. If you're spending eight to nine hours on your phone, I'm sorry, but you are distracting yourself from some kind of pain. Your phone is simply a distraction from something that you need to face head on. It's the same as, you know, people, it's an addiction. It's the same as people who drink their face off, who gamble all their money away, who work out 10 times a day. You are hiding from something and you really need to face it and let that energy flow through you, you know, facing emotions head on. If you think about little kids, you know, when they fall down or they get tired, they scream until they turn blue because they're expressing how they feel in that moment. I think that's really important, you know, to say, I feel angry. I feel frustrated right now. And here's why. And, you know, little kids, they'll go have a nap and they're ready to go. And uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating for having an absolute fit or a, uh, or a tantrum, but there's something to be said for really acknowledging how you're feeling, whether it's good or bad and why, and just letting it be. I'm frustrated today. Here's why. And the fact that, you know, right. this thing, the, the idea that men need to be tough and, and put on a face and just suck it up is so detrimental to mental health. Yeah, that bothers me a lot that men are just, you know, you're not supposed to be emotional or it's it's so ridiculous. It's like, yeah, you're, you're supposed to be just as emotional as anybody else. You know, it's just there's these expectations that are put on you, I feel right. like. And it's just it's I don't know. I think it's stupid. <laughs> right. And I mean, it's OK to have a bad day and want to go into your room and scream into your pillow. I think it's really important for people to hear that it's okay. You have permission to do that. I mean, not everyone, I don't ever want to give the impression that everyone on this show or myself included has an iron mind. It's impossible. It's not tangible. I have bad days. I'm sure you have bad days too, but it's really about how you choose to respond and how you choose to take care of yourself afterwards. Um, You mentioned how you've sort of found photography and how that tied in with anxiety and depression. Uh, Would you care to share that story with us? Yeah, sure. Um, is that yeah? I've talked about it a, a little while back. I think it was years ago that I kind of dove into it. But um, when I first got into photography, it was geez, two thousand eight or two thousand nine. So it's been a while. It makes me feel old. But um, I was a territory manager in retail and the retail industry, and um, I worked around cameras a lot, and I had my eyes set on an SLR. It was a Canon SLR at the time. And I didn't really think much about it at the time. I just thought, wow, I've always wanted to own one of those. I always thought I'd get, I I wanted to have a nice camera. And I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to, to do with it at the time. I just started bringing it along with me on my hikes in the area. And, um, and I just started taking photos of random things on the trail and off trail. And I, that was when I realized how much, um, I was passing up as I was hiking, just these little, you know, little scenes that I hadn't noticed before. So just by kind of slowing down and and taking my time, I, I was catching more of the environment around me with the camera. Um, but I also for a while had been feeling like this tremendous void and I just, um, I, I had been suffering pretty, I hate the word suffering because I feel like, um, it's just something that you 
it, daily have to to deal with. Um, what would you replace the word depression. with? Tolerate? Yeah, it's, uh, they say suffering, but it's really, I, I think the reason I feel guilty for saying that is because so many other people are going through it as well. It doesn't make me, it, it makes me feel like, well, I'm going through such a worse time than you when it's not the case at all. You know, so many people can relate to it, um, especially if you, um, you know, this sort of isolation that you feel where you can't really um, relate to anybody. It's, it's all consuming. And, um, and I know that might sound profound for some people who have never experienced it before, but um, what photography did for me, more specifically being out in nature, was um, it made me feel, feel like I, uh, it almost made me feel like I was being embraced or belonged somewhere like I belong somewhere. And, um, just this feeling of, uh, being out there in, in areas where I felt like I was getting to know myself better on a core level because I didn't feel like I knew who I was at all. Um, I felt like I really had no identity that I just didn't matter that nothing I did mattered. Um, and yeah, that sounds, yeah, I felt like, why am I even here? This is stupid. Um, there's no purpose for any of this. Uh, and being in nature, just getting out there on my own really changed that perspective a lot, especially uh, examining wildlife just oh, in their environments. Yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, and just seeing how they survive, their life of survival, uh, it is incredibly humbling um to witness that sort of thing and and you start to feel connected you start to feel connected to everything around you more and you start to realize that there is actually somewhat of a purpose you just have been so removed from that by being enclosed in these walls that you've been told are is normal for you um and now I'm getting kind of way off and to the no, other. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned being enclosed by four walls, but also in the, the 21st century, being so distracted by, you know, your phone. Yeah. There's the latest yeah. meme, the latest TikTok. People get lost, you know? Um I'm not even on TikTok. <laughs> Neither am I. Because I'm in the minority. I don't no, know. No, I'm, I'm not on it either, but I hear people talk about it all the time. But it is so easy to lose yourself. And, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who has those existential questions too. You know, when I'm out shooting wildlife, why is this giant tree here? Why? You know, why is this ladybug doing what it's doing? For what grand purpose? But I really think it helps you with your own sense of self if you can... You know, if you're someone who struggles with questions of, you know, what's the purpose of all of this? You know, why is everything the way it is? I mean, if you watch a chipmunk all day burying nuts and running up trees and stuff, I think that helps because someone like myself, I adopt that enthusiasm for life. And I try to try to do that and carry that energy in my own life, right? Yeah. Even just like bees, witnessing like, uh, you know, bumblebees or honeybees and going about what they're doing. It's fascinating to watch. I think a lot of us, we just kind of like walk by it on our walks outside, not really 
noticing, but if you actually sit you there, you are absolutely on the ball today because two episodes ago we had a bee photographer on. So oh, really? it's kind of freaking me out. You're in my yeah, mind. I mean, if you just sit there and watch them for uh-huh, absolutely if, if for even just 10, 15 minutes, it's, it's fascinating to observe them. I think a lot of people don't really spend time observing wildlife. Their idea of observing animals is at a zoo. Um, and it's, to me, that's, I, I could go off and start talking about zoos. But. So I guess the question is, how do we get people to start looking and start, you know, noticing things? I mean, if, if someone said, Candace, how do I get people to start caring about this thing, whether it's wildlife or nature? Yeah, how do I really get people involved and, and want, even want to this care? This is the most challenging it's, thing of all. It's the most challenging question of yeah. all, for and sure. There- for sure it is. <laughs> Well, the reason it's the most challenging thing of all, in my opinion, is because I think that the best way of making that connection is starting at a young age. And so if you haven't had that from a, if you haven't been, you know, told that nature is important at a young age or gone camping or hiking, if you're so removed from it, then if you're all this, if you all of a sudden take a trip to Yellowstone when you're 35 years old and all you've experienced is say New York City, um, then you probably look at it like it's more for entertainment, right? Uh, because all you've probably experienced is your local zoo, you know? Um, and maybe you've gone to upstate New York and seen the, the parks, What you know? I'm just saying that it's important to experience that the younger the better because as you develop more, if you don't have that from a younger age, then you have a disconnect, you're ultimately facing a disconnection. And the most challenging thing of all is that as our wilderness disappears more and more, more and more of us are disconnecting and we are falling away from nature. Right. It becomes terribly And the more perpetual. disconnected we become, mm-hmm. what happens, the less important we think nature is. Uh-huh. So it's this vicious cycle of it's okay to destroy it because it's not that important. It, it's not serving me, even though right. you can't live without it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing is that people are starting to realize, I think, with the climate change being more at the forefront, just how connected we are, whether or not we want to admit it or not. Um, what we've been doing over the past several decades to the environment is coming back to us. You know, it's, it's, there are consequences, and we're starting to realize that. Um, it's the people I think that are the most disconnected from nature that are having the hardest time facing that reality. Right. I would 100% agree with you that we are also, you know, products of environment, of our environment. And it's very difficult and it's much harder to unlearn something than it is to learn something, in my opinion. And a lot of times people don't know that there's something wrong with their way of thinking that's not to sound elitist or anything like that but for example littering right. there's something wrong with people who litter like that's quite obvious um it's dearly difficult to unlearn a habit or a value set or change someone's mind especially once they've reached adulthood um you know just as an example my mom has been using reusable shopping bags since like the 80s i mean i'm a 90s baby but as long as i can remember we were always going to the grocery store with reusable bags so i from a young age have been like against plastic that's great right i just i haven't grown up with it um so i think it's this is a really good i guess uh a talking point here for people who are maybe thinking about having children or have young children 
um, raising them with great examples because they're going to adopt those value sets and they're going to become a product of their own environment. I think it's important to raise the next generation right. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, it's not, I I don't want to, I don't want to come off like, well, unless you learned it at a young age, then you're, you know, you're, you're screwed because it's not like that. It's, you know, I know people who have actually moved out to the Pacific Northwest from more urban areas who've never experienced this kind of beauty, who all of a sudden they, you know, fell into nature photography because they were just all consumed by this beauty and just couldn't believe, oh my goodness, I've been missing out on this my whole life. So, and they grew this appreciation for it, but um, I do think it definitely helps to have that in your upbringing. Like I, I grew up where I was lucky enough to go out to the parks pretty much every weekend. Um, my parents took us camping all the time. And and I feel like that kind of set the tone, if that makes sense, where they, you know, they told they taught me that, hey, nature's important. And those were some of the best memories that I have. And it helps you connect with your loved ones too, uh, whether it's just sitting around a campfire talking with them or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's people who are definitely, who have been removed for a good portion of their lives who end up starting to appreciate it if they start visiting national parks or, or going to areas where, um, there's wilderness that they've never experienced for sure. Just make the, make the effort, you know, (laughs) I would say that's where you start is make the effort. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I want to circle back to, dealing with anxiety and depression and that sort of relationship with photography. We talk a lot about mindset on the show and we've never really discussed mental health. I know they're similar. Uh, I kind of compare them to how climate and weather are different, but similar. Um, I want to know, no pun intended, how you weather bad days, how you deal with them. Um, because they happen to everyone and some people, you know, it hits them worse than others. And I also want to know how photography plays a role in maybe coping is the right word with your, your overall mental health. So, uh, with the exception of the past few days, because of the extreme heat, uh, I almost every single day make it a point to take t- at least an hour and a half to two hours to be outside. Uh, whether that's in, um, a park and I mean, I'm lucky cause I have, I have three or four parks within two miles of where I live. Um, so I'm pretty lucky as far as that goes, I can just like my backyard is the green belt and, uh, I've, I can walk a half a mile over and I'm in this awesome park uh, with trails everywhere. Um, or I can go to the botanical garden that is 10 minutes away. So I make it a point pretty much every day, uh, unless there's something important going on that uh, makes it so that I can't do it. I make it a point to be outside for one, at least one and a half to two hours every day, uh, in in the forest or in a natural setting. And there's, there's different reasons for that. Um, there's various studies that have shown that if you spend at least two hours a week in nature, that your mental health improves drastically. Um, that just walking 30 minutes um, a few times a week reduces your likeliness of getting all kinds of cancer or health issues. Uh, but just your mental health overall improves significantly being in a natural setting, whether it's, it, it said it can just be like, you know, uh, 
neighborhood park with a few trees. You know, it doesn't oh, have to be yeah. anything drastic. It, it doesn't but, have to be Yosemite uh, National where, Park. Yeah, it doesn't have to be like that. But just uh, I've noticed that when I made it a point more to start doing that, it has drastically helped me. And I, I started doing that a few years ago. I wasn't getting in this. I noticed I was kind of slipping and getting to a bad spot um, with my mental health. And I just made it a point And I said, you know what? Why am I not getting out every day? There's no reason for it. I've got, you know, I can just walk down a few streets and I'm in the, the park. So I started doing that. And I'd say probably 80 to 90% of the time, I don't even take my camera. Um, you know, I have my camera on my phone, but I don't even take my camera a lot of now, the time. Now, is that on purpose? Uh, no, it's not. You know, if I know that I want, like right now, the hydrangeas just started blooming and I love hydrangeas. So I'll always bring my camera with me if I'm out walking around. But a lot of times I just, um, I just feel like it's important to, um, to just not even have, to just kind of rip all that away and just, just experience what's around you. Um, and that might be hard for some people because, I'm the kind of person where I say I'm not going to bring my camera. I don't have it with me, and then all of a sudden I see like a barred owl up in the tree right next to me, and I regret <laughs> and then you're it. Right? Back to your camera. <laughs> but yeah. it's not even like um, it's not even really intentional. It's just um, I don't know. I I don't feel like I always need to have it, and I think part of it is that I also have over a hundred thousand images in my backlog that oh I still need to go through. God. So, and the reason this goes back this goes back into having anxiety. And in depression, because I'm terrible with immediately going and processing images. There's people who I envy Ooh, because elaborate on this. Yeah, I'm jealous because there's people who will go and spend a day up at Mount Rainier shooting and then come back home and process their shot immediately and go and post it. I'm just like, how do you freaking do that? Because I, I used to be more like that, to be fair, um, years ago. And now I just feel like I. I mean, I've got images from Norway back in, in 2015 that I still need to go through um, in Lofoten that I still need to process. Yeah, I, it's just, I, I'll share things that I find from the archives back sometimes from like 2011, 2012. And uh, people will be like, oh, is that recent? No, that's from like a decade ago. But I just am too freaking lazy to go through and do it. It's not even, I don't even know if it's lazy. It's just, uh, it's a matter of like, I shoot a lot. I, I take a lot of pictures. There's some people who are much more meticulous about it and they will take pictures. They know exactly what they want to take photos of. They'll go back through right away and delete everything. I, I take a lot of photos. And so going through and like sorting through everything takes me a lot of time for one. But also, um, I just, I like being outside way more than I do being behind a computer screen. Um, I much prefer being in nature and the act of pressing the shutter and composing the image and, and that, that soul, like it, being out there and in the, it, like the, the action of being out there and so engrossed in what you're doing is so much more enjoyable than being stuck at home behind a computer screen processing. So let me, to let, me, me. let me ask you this then why even bring the camera along at all? <laughs> I think it's because, it, you know, a lot of it for me is about telling a story and expressing something emotional with the viewer and trying to make that connection for others who aren't ever either going to experience that or, um, or just trying to, 
to be able to convey something to someone else through your art. Uh, what, you know, it doesn't matter what that is. It can just be, oh, here's a picture of a fern. But, you know, it, I think sometimes um, you might be expressing how you're feeling at the time. You might be expressing uh, a story about how um, a particular place you're going to, maybe that's under attack and maybe um, that place, you know, might have its protection stripped away. It depends on what it is. You know, it can be a conservation thing. It can be about your mood at the time. Um, but if you're don't really feel like you need to have, you know, if, if it's just you going out for a walk and just enjoying being there at the moment, I don't think it's necessary. It, it all depends on your mood at the time, I think. But it's artistic expression. I mean, you're expressing something with the viewer, right? If you don't think that that's important. For me, I feel like if you're not making a connection with the viewer in some way, then there's no point to it. Right. Well, then what's your metric for knowing that you've made that connection? I mean, how do you know, yeah, this this post hit home or, or this <laughs> one missed? <laughs> That's the challenge, right? Because are you, <laughs> we, are you basing it on- We only ask on, challenging questions on this show. <laughs> are, you basis, are you basing that sort of thing on likes on Instagram? That's exactly because, where I was heading with it. Because I don't think that that necessarily means anything. Uh, have you ever noticed who's following you on there? Who it says, this person's following you. And a good portion of the time when you go look, it's a fake account or a bot. Oh, I try to um, remove Who knows how many accounts are fake? I try to. Um, it gets challenging. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how many are fake or real accounts and I don't, I try not to base it on that. And I think that's one of the reasons why they allow you to hide the likes on there now, because yeah. maybe we, we've had that in Canada for two, three years now. Well, they just started it here not too long ago. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that for, you know, for our American listeners? I don't know if any other countries have it who are new to it. What are your thoughts? I don't know. It's so, it's so new that I don't know, but I mean, my feeling on likes in general is that that should never really be the basis of uh, how you judge art is, you know, any kind of good. Or, I mean, how do you say, well, this photo is better than that one because this photo got 30,000 likes and this photo got 200 when maybe one of the photos, like the most breathtaking photo you've ever seen before, or one of the most emotionally moving photos before I, I think that hiding the counts or, or likes I mean it's if you really get down to it it's silly and an unhealthy thing that we we do in order to say that something is more valid than something else it's it, having something like likes should not be your basis of how good you are at, at something I don't think that um you know it's it shouldn't be a score it's not like a competition right I, and I've seen ways, and I think that's coming from some of my favorite artists are people that a lot of people haven't heard of, you know, it's, um, whereas some of the, you see some other artists out there who maybe they bought a lot of their followers back in the day because people used to do that sort of thing. They paid money for followers. I don't know if you know about that, but some people did that and that's how they're, that's how they're famous today. So it's, there's a whole, I mean, it opens up a whole can of worms. As far as that goes. But for me, I think that uh, how do I know if something has made a connection for me personally? I will get a message or a comment from somebody that is very um, personal or something that really tells me that it did something for the viewer. They'll say, yeah, it's, it's that sort of feedback. Um, you know, I've had messages where 
somebody will say to me, you don't know how much it meant to me that you shared that story or that photo really resonated with me and this is why. Um, that's the, the more meaningful type of thing. Um, sh sharing, sharing experiences of doing like beach cleanups and then, you know, somebody else says, well, I started cleaning up a beach because, and, and now, now other people are going to do it too. They saw me doing it and they said that they're going to get involved. That's the kind of stuff that matters to me um, is that chain effect that that has them. And believe it or not, one person can really have that type of effect. It can, you know, spread around. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it, <laughs> well, you've hit all the nails on the head. I always love to end with a bang on a high note. Candace, you have been an awesome guest. Thank you for joining me and try your best to stay cool out on the West Coast. <laughs> Thank you. I will try. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Photographer Mindset Podcast. As always, if you found this episode of value or you think there's someone out there who would benefit from listening to this episode or any of the other ones, uh, feel free to share it to your Instagram pages. I love it when you guys do that. It makes me so grateful that you guys are stoked on what I'm putting out there with my guests. Until next time, everyone, go get shooting, go get editing, and stay focused. See you then.